0: Glad to be back. Uh, I have been traveling quite a bit uh, over the last couple weeks, actually nine cities in 14 days, Um, (laughs) which most I've ever traveled in uh, a a concerted amount of time. The first week uh, we were shooting a a video series called The Whole Man Project, uh, which is going to be looking at... um, the spiritual dynamics of every aspect of a man, from mental health to relationships, uh, work, and so on. That's coming out in August, so I can't wait to share that with y'all. It's gonna be great that a book is coming with it too, so it'll be good. Um, And I got a chance to do some screenings with Juneteenth. Folks are still being blessed by that, so that's been great. So it's been a marathon for me. I know there's a marathon going on out there, but uh, it's been a marathon, um, and I'm glad to be back and seeing your faces again. Um, and w- did anybody have any difficulty getting here today? Y- y- yeah, a little bit? Well, let's give it up for yourselves. For They need to give us some medals when it's marathon day, because it's kind of crazy out there. Um, well, we also, even though I wasn't here physically, uh, I did... Um, Get the notifications and definitely listen to the word. Um, and so, I just wanted to thank you on behalf of Pastor James, Josh, and myself for the pastoral appreciation moment and the gifts that we're giving. Um, it really is encouraging, and and and, and leading, uh, being a part of this community in this church. Um, you all just make it so much sweeter, you know, just with the sense of appreciation and 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 just kindness. So, uh, we just really wanted to thank you. Um, and, it, and I really, again, it kind of got me thinking about how I got connected to all of this. Um, the church was a year old. Uh, Pastor James and I have known each other for years, and I was on his email list when he was sending up the updates. Literally, I was in, Indi- I was in Indiana. <laughs> so this is us back at Howard University um when we were first starting out we were babies then right you know in ministry full-time uh doing ministry full-time as campus missionaries at Howard but the key moment of that um the backstory was we were both wrestling uh with what we were going to do next in life and um and it was kind of this unknown thing and it was like this defining moment that I remember being like if I go if you go I'll go and he was like, if you go, I'll go. And, um, and that defining moment set us on a course of doing ministry together 20 some years later, 23 to be exact. Um, and that's kind of how I got here, uh, thinking about that uh, move that I made back in from Indiana. And it came with a lot of fear, uh, questions, You know, moving a family uh, from the Midwest here but they also came with a sense of clarity about the sense of calling. And here's the reality. As I saw and believed the move of what God was doing uh, with uh, Pastor James and at this church in New York City, I sensed that it was a dynamic movement, but it was going to be one, if I wanted to be a part of it, it was going to take a defining moment from me. And here's the reality of what we're going to get into today. The dynamic movements begin with defining moments. Acts chapter four reveals such a moment. Uh, Pastor Mark, I mean, see, we doing it all, we all doing it, right? Um, Mark, our worship leader, um, preached last week uh, on Acts chapter three um, and the healing of a lame man in the temple. And it was this dramatic moment, this move of God of them seeing signs and wonders and and, and really this thing that happens. And we're gonna look at what happens next because the reality is what happens next with Peter and John and really even the community of the church becomes a defining moment. I'm gonna read about 13 verses here for us to just get the context. I really encourage you to read the entire chapter uh, as you are home and thinking about this throughout the week, um, because there's a lot here. But I'll just start us off. Acts four, chapter one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, all Who and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and recognize that they had been with Jesus. We're going to just pause there and look at the question of a defining moment that was before them. Because you see, what happened was they have this incredible, there in front of the temple, this lame man who we later find out in this chapter was over 40 years old, which meant that he would have been there day after day, year after year, and he leaps to his feet in a spontaneous, full, complete deliverance. And it just creates a commotion. People are worshiping God. People are out there. And, and Peter and John take this opportunity because they had healed the man in the name of Jesus to proclaim this Jesus who they were talking about. And so then this causes a problem. It causes those who were there, the high priest, to be in opposition. And this is the first time now, right? that the church is experiencing opposition and not just opposition from anybody. Luke, the historian, carefully reminds us, if you, some of you may remember that, hear that name, Annas Caiaphas and be like, oh yeah, those were those who were literally over Jesus's trial. These these were the folks who were there and who had decided to crucify Jesus. The captain of the temple, that's the popo, y'all. And it says they were arrested. They they, like, yes, they were held because the Sanhedrin met in the mornings and this had happened after they had met. And so they had to keep them to the next day. And so we're going to look at the anatomy of these defining moments. And, And because there is something that occurs with all of us to look into. And the first one we'll see is that a defining moment begins with a divine deliverance. A defining moment begins with a divine deliverance. We saw that in chapter three. We see the man gets healed and is at this age in which this transformation wasn't supposed to happen. And I want to pause there for a second to just give you a word because you might be here and you think that the deliverance that you were hoping for has already passed you by. Because of your age, you think it's too late for you, whatever that too late thing is. And I would just encourage you to remember that don't limit God. This man was, you know, over 40 and he leapt up something that others around him could not believe had happened. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, it was possible. Now, the issue wasn't the healing. <laughs> the issue was the healing in Jesus' name. You see, <laughs> they were healed because they, they were upset. Because he, they healed in Jesus' name. And this was the same Jesus who they had a hand in him being crucified. And, and this is an important note, right? Because some, some of us, we, we get into this place where we, we make a decision for Christ. You come up to the front. You, you get involved. You're starting to change your life and, and your patterns and, and your behaviors. And, and you start giving Jesus credit for it. And then you start to see some people ain't excited about that. Here's an important note. Not everyone rejoices, stay with me, we okay, <laughs> we all right. Not everyone rejoices over your divine deliverance. Yeah, yeah, see, and, and there's a couple of reasons for it. Some people who don't believe, that, that it, it gets, it get, they get a little upset at this idea of that faith becomes so important to you, and that's something that because of their own biases, they don't want to accept. For others, they have their identity in being your deliverer. Oh, they like to be the one that you come to and call to when, you, when they need help. And so the idea that now you are independent of them and now are seeing and, and, and following Jesus, that becomes a problem. And then there's just some haters that just like when you can't walk. And so the fact that you up and walking and living your life and doing your thing and giving God the glory for it, that's just kind of like they ain't feeling that. So it causes some sense of conflict when we experience a divine deliverance. And that leads to the second part of a defining moment. Defining moments are caused by difficult dilemmas. Yeah. We see what happens later. Is so, so after they, 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 they send Peter and John out, after they boldly declare this message, and then they go, what are we going to do about this? And, and they got a dilemma because they're like, okay, We don't like the fact that they're talking about Jesus, but we can't deny that the man was healed and everybody's praising God for it. So what are we going to do about this? And what they try to do is to kind of split the difference and put the pressure on Peter and John. Come back in, all right, just stop preaching in Jesus' name. (laughs) That's the solution. Now, some of that, you can see that there's a tragedy here. Something in them is so... um, concerned about their status, so concerned about their power that they didn't stop and go, well, maybe we need to worship Jesus too. We just saw them heal in his name. Maybe we need to get up on that. No, they are more concerned about the appealing to people, the favor of people, that it causes them to try to put that pressure on Peter and John. And there are some people that'll put pressure on you as you walk and follow Jesus and you start to be bold. There's some people who will say, hey, we might have to break up if you keep doing this because there's certain things I expect out of a relationship that you are now no longer willing to do and so that might be a problem. There might be some people that's like, oh, well, you know, I don't own the baggage that comes with that label of Christian so I might need to cancel you. And for some, it even can lead to more, a separation of relationship. But even in the midst of those dilemmas, that difficult dilemma, what we see happen, what what do you do in that moment of pressure, this defining moment that now someone is is presented with this challenge of what you are presenting to them? What do you do? Well, we see what Peter and John does. Look at what happens. (laughs) In verse 19, Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. they like, look, that's your business. <laughs> For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Yeah, we Look, what y'all going to do about that, that's on you. But I'm telling you, me, me and my road dog here, we, we still represent Jesus ten toes down because we seen too much. We seen him be resurrected. We heard what he told us to do. And some of us can relate to that because it's like we've experienced too much of Jesus's goodness. We know what he's done in our lives. So it's like if you're trying to tell me to reject him, well, that's just going to be on you. And so defining moments can lead to a determined declaration. And they decide that they are determined to declare the goodness of Jesus in their lives. They're not just going to quietly, you know, just say, well, yeah, we did a healing. We're part of a, you know, a healthcare care initiative. Um, and we, you know, wanting to do that. They said, look, we healed him in Jesus' name. And if you got a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. Because that's what we've seen and what we've heard. Now, if you notice, there's something really interesting about this. Because if we know Peter's life just a few weeks earlier, confronted by the same people, he was like, I don't know that man. I I, I don't know. I don't know him. What changed? Well, we see what changed in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. It tells us right here that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, it empowers you to say and do things that on your own strength you would not be able to say and do. Confront people who you would not normally be able to confront with the goodness of Jesus because he is empowering you. But this is not just to idolize Peter and John. And Luke makes it very clear that they say, these, uh, the Sanhedrin, they say, look, we recognize that they are uneducated and common men. Now, that might feel like a diss, but what they're saying is they haven't studied like we've studied. They didn't go to the rabbinical classes like we did. They, did, they don't know all the nuances of the language. And so normally you would think someone would be intimidated by them by such men of education and high regard. But they notice that, and they explain why they notice it. It says they realized that they had spent time with Jesus. Don't you know when you spend time with Jesus, you don't need an advanced degree. You don't need to be able to be like, well, what am I going to say to navigate this conversation to be able to, because they know all this stuff. You just stand 10 toes and say, look, this is Jesus. He resurrected from the grave and saved my life. And that's enough. But, you know, the reality was there was a threat here. There was a danger here. I mean, these were the same people that had just crucified their savior. And now they're in front of them, warning them and threatening them. What are they gonna do in this defining moment? And the reality is there are still many believers, millions around the world who experience these type of threats. I got a chance to meet one of them a few years ago, my first time going to Israel and Palestine. I was there on a trip. Uh, with a group that was taking uh, pastors over there to understand the dynamics of the situation there. And Khalil, we met, we had to meet him in secret because he was in danger. His life was in danger in light of him uh, proclaiming Jesus. He was from, he was born in Gaza, raised there. And like 20% of other Palestinians who happen to be believers going all the way back, they trace their following of Jesus to the book of Acts. But when Hamas took over in 2007, things changed. And all of a sudden he goes to class one day and Hamas, who's now in, in charge of the school, said, I hear there's a Christian here. Who are you? A defining moment. He raises his hand. They said, now you go and stand in front of the wall. I don't even want to look at you. From that point on, students began to be emboldened to uh, curse him, to even physically assault him. And without any recourse or support, he decides keeping his faith intact was more important. So he flees to to the West Bank. But while he's there, he is also encountering the indignities of what it means to be a Palestinian in an Israeli state. And so in the midst of this, this organization I was with, they introduced us to him because he was in this place between two worlds, still advocating for peace and advocating for a way for folks to, to, to live together while even experiencing the indignities of the wall that separated him and the checkpoints that he had to go through. And when I look at Khalil, and he's now in the States and he's studying international affairs so he can be a peace broker when he goes back home, a home that he can't even go to right now. And I I look at him and I'm, I'm, I'm inspired and I'm amazed because he decided I am going to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though it cost him everything, though it cost him his ability to even stay in his own home. And I am encouraged, but we, it also reminds us we need to pray. And there are aspects and elements of this conflict where people don't even see the complexities of it and even realize that they're real people whose lives are up in the air across the board. And so we need to pray for him and those who are in the persecuted church. But I also hope that we could pray to get some of their sense of courage and boldness. But how do we get that? How do we get that? Well, we're going to unpack this point and a few other ones because it it, it helps us to see it. It's defining moments are rooted in a devoted doxology. Defining moments are rooted in a devoted doxology. Well, what do I mean by that? Some of us know that word doxology from, you know, if you're in a certain liturgical tradition and you go and you raise and you stand up and you might sing all praise to whom all blessings follow. And, and you kind of it's like doxology. Oh, that's the signal that the church is about to end. <laughs> but that is not what it means. A doxology is an expression of praise to God. And what we see in these last passages reveal such a thing it says when they were released they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them and when they heard it they lifted their voices together to god and said sovereign lord who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father david your servant said by his holy spirit And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Somebody say boldness. Boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Wow. What a response. What a doxology. And this doxology communicates a sense of devotion that takes place. It would have been easy for them to be like, yo, Lord, could you like just stop them from attacking us? Would you could you could you just bring us to someplace else where we can avoid this tension? They don't pray for any of that. They pray. Give me boldness to stand. Give me boldness to proclaim and let me be effective in my witness. That's thug prayer right there. That's that's like (laughs) like, wow, (laughs) like like that's. Like that's what they're on. Like, like, like that They're not even thinking about anything else. They're just thinking about being more effective. And what that leads us to is to realize that this sense of boldness is a holistic sense of doxology. That 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 praise is not just something that happens with their lips, but with their lives. That is the fullness of what it means for them to express this sense of doxology. If you're only doing doxology when you stand up the last few minutes of the service, you're doing it wrong. Doxology happens when you go to work. Doxology happens when you go to Thanksgiving and you're with your family. Doxology happens when you are in that moment of having to walk in integrity in that defining moment. What will you do? But I also need to take a note real quick that notice that there, he quotes Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? And he lists the, all those who were responsible for the death of Jesus. And this is significant because sometimes throughout history, there's been some sense of anti-Semitism tied to the idea that the Jews were solely responsible for executing Jesus. And Peter makes it very clear First of all, he's quoting the Gentiles' rage. The kings of the earth set themselves up. Then he starts name dropping. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, all of y'all were responsible. And spiritually, the whole point of it is that we all, through our sin, were nailing Jesus to the cross. This ain't just about one group of people. It's about all of us. And Peter and John, they come back to their community and they report what was said to them and they do it with a sense of even like joyful expectation of what was going to happen next and they do it because they're prayed up and filled with the spirit now I do need to notice something else because it, it goes on to say that they were the, the whole place begins to shake in verse 31 and as they prayed, the place in which they were gathering together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. Again, there's that word with boldness. Somebody say boldness. boldness. Now, here's the interesting thing. Weren't they already filled? Like in Acts chapter 2, we see like they, the Spirit came and then they were filled. Like, so what does this mean? And here's the problem. We are filled at the time of our accepting of Jesus, but the issue is We leak. <laughs> we leak. Over time, stuff happens and that same sense of feeling that you get when you walk out of here and stuff happens. Somebody cut you off. Somebody look at you sideways and, and we leak. And so we need to be continually refilled. And it shows us that in this longest prayer in Acts. And so we're going to look at this devoted doxology just with a few specific points that I'm going to break just kind of illustrate of what's involved here. It's right there in the text. First of all, <laughs> dynamic movement demands devotion to the Lord. Demands devotion to the Lord. And how do we see that devotion to the Lord? We see it primarily in prayer. They gather together and they pray what we see as the longest prayer in, captured in the book of Acts. And notice the nature of their prayer. They pray scripture. We're going to be talking about that this time when the prayer time. So the prayer call coming up, 630. This is why we do that. Because you cannot be part of a dynamic movement unless you're devoted to the Lord. And you cannot be devoted to the Lord unless you're devoted to prayer. It's impossible. Because prayer is what allows God to speak to us. It allows us to be connected with his move. And when we're part of his move, then we can see how we are to move as a part of a dynamic movement. But also notice that the nature of this prayer is very sophisticated and mature because he somehow says in verse 21 that you allow these leaders to do whatever your hand and your your plan had predestined to take place. And so it's like, well, who was responsible? And it's like, yeah, there's this sense of their faith in God had enough room for God to be God. See, some of the problem is that we have in our culture is that we expect God to have to, that we deserve a clear explanation for everything that happens in life. And if somehow I, if I can't explain it, then then that means that he's wrong and I need to dip. But they had enough understanding. And this is the people who had been walking with Jesus, who had been filled with the spirit. And they're like, look, God, so there's some stuff. I, I don't know how exactly all that works. I don't know why it is that I preach and I heal somebody and now I'm in prison. But I know you're good. And I'ma still say stay bold and I'ma still represent you in the midst of that. That is a type of intimacy that comes through prayer. So we they were devoted to the Lord. But not only were they devoted to the Lord, they were also devoted to fellowship. Dynamic movement demands. That we be devoted to fellowship. Where do I see that? In 32, in verse 32, it says, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. There's this this sense of camaraderie, this sense of unity where they they gather together and they're devoted to fellowship. Are you devoted to fellowship? when I think back about even as we're about to celebrate our ninth anniversary here at the church and I think about being there for the last eight, I would not literally be able to be here were it not for people who were devoted to the fellowship. You see, what happened is we were moving from Indiana to New York and the rent is a little bit different here, y'all. As in like double. And uh, we couldn't, we we just weren't in a place to afford that. And so the, the, the challenge was, well, how are we going to make this happen? Well, we had uh, Pastor James and Josh had found a temporary missionary living situation, but it was only like 300 square feet. And so only my wife and I could live there. So we needed a place for our daughter who had just graduated from high school. Yes. And so Amanda Davis, who's still here, and some other of her roommates had decided to let her stay with them. Three of the roommates didn't even know who, two of the roommates didn't even know who she was. But without that opportunity, without that defining moment, we would not even have been able to move here. And I, we like, I love this picture, because just in the same way that we're holding up our door, that the church was holding us up. And that's what happens when we're devoted to fellowship. Amen. Praise God. That's what happens. Like, like we. That, that, that's why growth group is so important. That's why things like serving on teams is so important because what we're doing is we're holding each other up when we do that. But then it goes on to say in verse 33, and with great power, the, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Dynamic movements demand devotion to the gospel. This was not just a social club. This was not just a a group of gathering of friends that just was chilling out. Yes, there was a sense of fellowship and there was a sense of koinonia, a sense of coming together. But at the end of the day, they were still giving their testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the very basis, the very foundation, the very anchor of their fellowship. That is what makes us distinct, is that we are rooted in this story and see ourselves in this story. And as a result of that, we are part of a dynamic movement that is global that extends beyond us, that allows us to have camaraderie across race, across ethnicity, across age, across gender, across everything that the world sees as parts of division bring us together, and God actually likes it because it flosses his glory. That's what it means to be devoted to the gospel. I remember that first year when uh, Pastor James and I were at Howard, and there was a Verizon strike. And so because of that strike, uh, this, this boy, it feels. I gotta explain. See, there, <laughs> it was like MCI it was MCI right but they don't know about that and y'all don't know about how debilitating it was in 2000 to not like so that was back when your cell phone plan was I'm gonna have to explain all this so like you had $50 a month and you had 500 minutes this feels like a different world in which I'm living in like and so so we had to use a landline but we didn't have a landline because they were on strike and so we're doing all this outreach we had given all this stuff like I had 600 contacts and had nowhere to you know no way to call and he prayed and fasted for 40 days. I'll never forget this. And at the end of that, yeah, first of all, I was like, yo, you're a big dude fasting for 40 days. You sure about that? And at the end, literally to the day, the 40th day is when we got our phone service, is when we were able to start working and seeing the move of God happen. That's what it means to be devoted to the gospel. But lastly, dynamic movements demand devotion to those in need verse 34 says there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need there's a few things here to kind of unpack One, they had the level of trust in the apostles that they gave it to them to distribute. And they recognized that. But the other thing is that look at what we're saying is that there was such a sense of commitment that there were those who were part. And we see this later in the book of Acts, chapter six, when there are widows who are that are dependent on the daily distribution of food in order to live. There was no social safety net. These were all that they had. And, and, and again, this is something that we get to see the unique power of what happens when the body comes together. We got to see this during the pandemic. For those of you who were here at the church, you remember the Be the Bridge um, program. Because there were people who had lost work, lost their jobs, you know, in need of groceries. And we encouraged people to give those who did have jobs, did have work, did have resources so that we were able to buy groceries for those who needed them. We were able to even help people with rent for those who who needed that. We were able to help people to get Metro cards in order to get to work in, in, in a moment of crisis. And guess what? They didn't even have to be members. There was a devotion to those who were in need. And you know what the reality is? This is a type of witness that is a devoted doxology. This is the type of praise that causes the world to take notice because when they see us caring for other people, then that preaches the gospel more than our words ever could. In fact, this isn't the first time that there's been a pandemic that uh, caused a disruption and caused need. There was one in the fourth century in, in the Roman empire. And we know this because we have some correspondence of a frustrated Roman emperor Roman emperor who was getting mad that the people were coming in faith in Christ. And look at the reason why this is a quote from emperor Julian. He says, when it came about that the poor was were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, that was their priests, Then I think the impious Galileans, that's what he called the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to a philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. He's writing and is mad because the Christians are serving and caring for his people. And it's growing as a result of that. And it's the same thing that is true today when we look at the needs. This is why we do Pray, pray, March, Act. This is why we show light because Jesus was the Messiah building a new kingdom. And that kingdom means love your enemies. That kingdom means serve those who are in need. That kingdom means having a devoted doxology that doesn't just look like lips, but looks like lives. Well, you might be thinking, that sounds great, but I'm not, I'm no Peter and I'm no John. Who am I? Well, the good news is Peter and John, it says we're uneducated, common folk. They were ordinary men who had an encounter with an extraordinary God. And that is what set them apart and gave them that sense of difference. And so I want to encourage you and ask you this question today as we're here together. What will you do with your defining moment? Mm -hmm. You're here because God has you here. You're here because he's captured your attention and has, be, and has invited you to be part of the move of God, a dynamic movement that is looking to transform ourselves, transform our community, transform the world. But in order to do that, we have to answer the question, what will you do with your defining moment? There's this thing at the very end of this passage that you see it just almost seems like a throwaway line it says uh there was a guy named joseph who uh was helping everybody out and he sold his land and distributed to the uh apostles but it also mentions that joseph's all we know about him is that he was so encouraging that they called him and they gave him a nickname son of encouragement so we might know him as barnabas Barnabas wasn't even his actual name. It was a characteristic or attribute that was ascribed to him because of his kindness, because of his being willing to be part of a move of God and to be bold with his faith. But here's the thing. How did Barnabas get there? How did Peter and John get there? It all comes the same way. It's because Jesus had a defining moment. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's struggling, and he's praying because of the d- dilemma that was forced upon him. "Father, if it, you, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done." And in that defining moment, he decided to sacrifice himself for others. He decided to put himself in the position that though we were the ones that deserved death on the cross, that he took that penalty in our place. And said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it is because Jesus is the one who with his defining moment sacrificed himself so that he could create a dynamic movement that we are here. And it all starts with that relationship. That's how we become devoted to the Lord. And so I'm going to give us a couple opportunities to respond to that. If you wouldn't mind rising to your feet with me. And the first call is an invitation. I don't know how you got here today. Maybe you weren't even planning on it. Somebody invited you. Maybe you finally decided to come in person after looking online. And you may not have been expecting to make any kind of defining moment, but as you are here, you realize the spirit is saying, come, it's time. It's time to be filled. It's time to be a part of this dynamic movement. Well, if that's you today, we just invite you to come forward. We invite you to take that step, make this be your defining moment where you follow Jesus and become something bigger than yourselves. This is the opportunity to make Jesus your leader, to say, I've tried living my own way, it doesn't work. I've tried living other people's way, it doesn't work. And so now I'm gonna give myself to Jesus. So if that's you today, we just invite you to come forward and just take that step. We want to just pray with you, pray over you, encourage you, and give you the resources that you need in order to continue to walk in that boldness, to continue to walk in that defining moment. But you also might be here, and you've made that decision already, but like Peter, there's a sense you might be leaking, (laughs) There needs to be another filling of the Spirit. There needs to be another sense of deepening in your walk. Well, if that's you, we want to encourage you. You can um, text FAITH to 55444. Text the word FAITH to 55444. And what that does is that just allows us to be able to come alongside of you, support you, and walk with you. Because like we said, part of being in a defining moment is by being devoted to fellowship. You know, the world will tell you, oh, just, you can do this on your own. Spirituality is just personal. But the reality is with every other aspect of our lives, we do it with others. You can get books anywhere. You don't got to go to college. But there's something about being in an atmosphere where education is being forth that Anybody could do work in a nonprofit, but there's something about being part of an organization that is helpful. And in the same way, spiritually, we need each other. So if that's you today, either one of those calls, either coming forward to make Jesus your Lord or to be reconnected and refilled in that texting on the screen, we just encourage you to do that. What's going to be your defining moment today? We give you the openness invitation to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, just thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to respond to it. God, and we just pray that you would reveal to us what is it that you are calling us to do. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.